Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sando, joined, as always, by the Wendy's to my McDonald's. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? Uh, I'm glad you gave me the one with the superior chicken. Uh, and, the, and the red hair. And uh, the <laughs> and our very, our very own Burger King. That's right. He's flame grilled. I was really hoping you give him Arby's. I was, he's a whopper. It's Eric Ronnebeck. <laughs> Eric, how you doing? Okay, so I thought we were gonna go Taco Bell, I'm which so I was hungry. gonna cry with joy. Oh. And then if you would have called me Arby's, I'd have said something like, "Well, I didn't know. I know you meant no. that I made you vomit." But Eric, yeah. Eric, um, the re- Eric knows well, the reason you have I meet. I ain't no Western Whopper. There is a reason I went with fast food places as our intro, and that's because, as many of listeners, longtime listeners of the podcast may know, Kevin is one of the largest college football fans in the in the region figuratively loves, i'm rather loves, average size he, physically. Loves, he loves the call he loves the college football i was also and, in a 12-hour work day yesterday and, and apparently missed something and big. he doesn't know right now that our president welcomed clemson football to the white house by serving them mcdonald's and other fast food restaurant but now well that, wait, is, that is offensive hold on me. it's not just that how much of this did oh he my serve gosh. them? Dude, there's this great picture of just like him and the Clemson football team all standing around this table, and there's just like mountains of Big Macs, and like I mean, it's because of the government shutdown, but it's also just hilarious. But they're like, also they're also in their wrappers. So you saw Clemson linemen <laughs> stacking like three Big Macs on a plate in their paper containers. So it's a, while they're wearing like full suits. Too. It's a nice white <laughs> White House plates with three. Boxes they got some fine top. china and yes. three Big Macs. Okay. Kevin, this is offensive to me on so many levels. Sure, Kevin, so Kevin hates some pictures. Kevin hates fast food, so this is like I specifically I think... hate McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's. That's is what makes the story so funny to me is Kevin hates McDonald's so much. I I have I have refused to eat an entire meal because McDonald's was the option. I just waited until the next meal came. Around. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the off season. <laughs> you got look at this picture. Look at this. That that. Holy it's, crap! That's and your it's, POTUS. It's did you it's see the best. their it's just on the best. silver serving trays? It's the funniest story I've yeah. seen, and so it's so funny. That's fake. No, it looks fake, but it's this not. This was all over the news. You can yesterday. Google it, Kevin. This is not okay. There's video. You can watch video. Of Kevin it. hates. You don't this understand. This is not okay. You understand how much Kevin hates McDonald's. It makes it so much better that he's just finding this out right now. I gave Nathan so much crap. We were, we were downtown Seattle for a convention, <laughs> and Nathan got really upset because the place he wanted to eat was closed, and like people were having this debate, and he's like, and he was like, "Screw it, I'm gonna get McDonald's," and I was, I was just like, "Why? Why would you do that to yourself?" Apparently you went all the way to the White House to eat McDonald's. I was really hungry, okay? (laughs) I don't care. You took out Nick Saban. Oh, Kevin hates McDonald's so much. McDonald's is the Reese's Pieces of fast food. Oh, man. Now you deserve McDonald's. Oh, okay. I don't think I... Dude. (laughs) I almost died laughing because I knew Kevin would be so mad about McDonald's. Okay. This offends me greatly. Uh, And it's not for the reason you think either. It's the most McDonald's. The most reason. 90% of the reason. Okay. um, Let's get into it. Let's get into the real part of the podcast. No. Wait. Did they get the chocolate vanilla swirl cone at the end? Because that's like the only decent I'm pretty sure it would have melted. Then it's not. No. This is horrible. Kevin hates. This is so wrong. Kevin, name things you hate more than a Big Mac. It's a really short list. Uh, Cancer. Um, wow! Gosh. All right, we're done. Uh, wow! We just got like seventeen unsubscribes right there because you. S- I hate cancer more than the big. Well, you should hate cancer. Oh yeah, that's true. But but it's. Close. I have my priorities in order. Just kidding. I guess that's right. I, I had it the other way. I thought you hated no, the big no, no, man no, no, more no, than no, cancer. No. You're just a late, late name things you like more. Oh okay. Um, that's true. Uh, would you, Kevin? Would you rather have to chug a glass of Big Mac sauce? Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It doesn't matter what the other thing is. <laughs> it's so gross. Okay. Uh, the uh, let's get into it. Uh, the NFL story of the week that I picked this week. Okay, so in the off season, I like oh, to welcome pick, back to the off season. I like folks. to pick one NFL story of the week. You guys ready? The AFC Championship will be played with a total lunar eclipse. Wow, what does that mean? Uh, it'll be played Tom with Brady's a total aware- eclipse of the heart. Tom Brady's a werewolf, so I mean, you know what it means. Does that mean that we uh, we have to light candles with black cats and uh, create like a- candy apples and razor blades? Yeah, I remember, I remember Halloween. Halloween. Mickey Mouse and the Ice Capades. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the other big story was Kyler Murray. De- Kyler Murray declared for the draft. He's five foot nine. Uh, I'm actually kind of excited about it because I think he could be mad decent. But yeah, I also think he mad won't get a chance. Yeah. Is this the uh, the guy from Michigan? I can't uh, wait for all the Doug Oklahoma. City comments. Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Oklahoma, completely wrong. Just took a guess. Thanks, guys. 
All right. Okay. Let's Anytime. let's let's this week our we're gonna go uh, a little Seahawks news. Um, the biggest stories of the week were all about like guys that we had non tendered basically. So we we did not we have not offered KJ Wright a deal yet. What kind of deal would you be looking to bring KJ Wright back on? Uh, Kevin. Uh, KJ Wright. Yeah. Would you, um, is there is there like a contract that you feel really comfortable with? Or is it like he's getting about thirty years old? He's over thirty, isn't he? Uh, I believe he's 29. 29. His knees are over 40, and that's my primary concern here. Uh, It's two years with knee surgery. He played basically two full games this season and parts of a few others. Uh, I really like KJ. I like what he does. We can't rely on him to be available. And as a result, it would have to be a... It would have to be a real buy low contract. So, would you bring him back for like double the veteran minimum, like like one and a half, two million? Yeah, like I would do that. Uh, what about four? Uh, that's when you're pushing it. I think about three and a half is probably my north end. Okay, Eric, what about you? How do you feel about KJ? Because that's about back? what we paid Mingo is between three and three and a half. Uh, I'd say four is okay for KJ. Here's the thing: he said the Seahawks have not offered me a contract. He said I would be willing to resign, but I want to be respected. I don't feel like $4 million is the respect KJ has in mind. He is gone. He's not going to be Seahawks next Okay, Kevin, you just said something right there. Like, that's how much we pay Mingo. I will make a guarantee. I'm going to call a shot right here on the podcast. Barkevious Mingo is not going to be a Seattle Seahawks next I year. agree, because our favorite pass rushing outside linebacker yeah. from the University of Temple stole his spot. Yeah, Jacob Martin took, his, Jacob Martin Jacob Martin took his shoes, man. He was like, those are my shoes now, and uh, you're gone. He threw uh, his shoes up on the table. Mingo, Mingo has no guaranteed money on next year's contract as well. The Seahawks would save about $1.9 million by cutting him, and they will do so in due time uh the uh, other seahawks news from this week we signed a former rams kicker sam ficken kevin last year about this time we tendered a kicker he ended up being the best kicker for the jets <laughs> jason myers yes do you think that um sam ficken makes it to to cut day or is this a, a depth signing to challenge uh, another veteran kicker we bring in uh i think we will bring in two or three kicking options and let the cards fall as they will and unfortunately, and I, give the job to Cody Parkey. I honestly, I think the kicker's a lot like relief pitcher. Bring some in, run them through camp, see what shakes out at the end, because it's such a like fungible asset. All right, and then uh, the Seahawks signed uh, un, uh, Jamie Madeira, a 28-year-old undrafted free agent who played last season with the Browns. I spent most of the season uh, as, as quality depth. Um, I don't have a strong opinion on Jamie Madeira. He didn't play... I think he, how many snaps did he play last year? I think zero. Uh, no, yes, zero. So uh, we're the only podcast yeah. anywhere who will cover this. 2017, he played 178 <laughs> snaps for Cleveland. He played 722 snaps for the 2016 Cleveland Browns. He's an okay tackler. He has um, he had 22 run stops in that season, which is not not bad. Um, only two career sacks. This is a depth signing at best, and. Uh, Probably Bruce bringing him in to compete if, to be in the defensive tackle rotation. Yeah, Shamar Stevens probably not coming back. Uh, that spot's going to open up so that they can uh, keep Naz Jones in all I'm, the time. Yeah, I'm like not happy about that because I think Shamar Stevens is both young and good, but he's like one of the few guys on the roster we can cut and get all the money back. So I think just, we can get the same level of productivity from players that we have. I'm 50-50 on it, but I, I understand what you're saying. He's not... He was not crazy productive last year. He was like solid but unspectacular. Agreed. Uh, so that that's not that's not really cutting it for a guy who's gonna who is we can get all the money back by just letting him walk. Okay, so that's that's the uh, the my favorite uh, Seahawks stories of the week. Um, a lot of Schottenheimer news came out. That's my not favorite Seahawks news of the week. Uh, lots of stuff Schottenheimer interviewed said that our offense this year isn't our offense next year. A lot of people talking about how what what's this team gonna look like next year. So let's get let's do our Brian Schottenheimer review real quick. Um, oh, I didn't know you're doing this. Okay, well, I feel so unprepared. Yeah, that's not you're, do you. You've do been you. you've been preparing for this all season. We all know. I've been preparing for this my entire life. <laughs> so my Brian Hunt Schottenheimer review Blue is bank. our offense unshackled from Tom Cable learned how to block again. It we got up to the twentieth best offensive line in the league or something. It, can I? It felt like the best offensive line. Can I say something real quick? And I thought. I think any shortcomings you have about Schottenheimer should be pointed squarely at Pete Carroll, uh, because those are those are orders from above his pay grade. He's he's he did his job. They told him to go out there and establish the run and control the clock, and he did it. So if you want to get mad at someone, I think you should be mad at Pete, not mad at Schottenheimer. That's my opinion on it. Uh, 
it was a bo- kind of a vanilla offense, but it, that's what they wanted. They wanted to control the ball and play vanilla and be really efficient, and they succeeded in that. And it, I don't, it's not my crazy about it. I think that there's a more dynamic offense with of these skill position players available, but I don't know if this is the. I don't know if Pete will be the guy to find it, to be honest with you. All right, Kevin, what do you got? All right, this is my chance to set you off. Have you seen the headline that's going around, uh, the clickbaity headline from a local coverage source? I know what you're going to say, Kevin. That states that the swap from cable to Solari was is being overrated. Uh, what is your What is your response to that okay. other than... Does this person watch football? Okay. So they, they block uh, us on Twitter. So do we need to even acknowledge him? Jermaine Fetty went from being the like the most dog crap. He terrible was literally player the second worst tackle to, in football to league average. And I don't. I cannot stress enough how much that the the bumps that this team took from terrible to league average. How big of a difference that made. I mean. Dwayne Brown was excellent, and and I think that right, J- Britt and Effetti were both average to above average, and and then Fluker was average, and and Sweezy. I think Sweezy was above was, average. Sweezy was yeah, I, think, I think Sweezy was below average, but that that's my opinion on on him. The, but the thing is, those guys were as a whole unit right in the middle of the pack, and that kind of upgrade is 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 enormous when you were so far behind the curve last year. It's Nathan's one good offensive line coach theory. Yeah, I guess. I did maybe it was <laughs> I mean, I do think this this offensive line if it wants to be truly great, if it wants Pretty to good. dominate the point of attack needs one more guy. Uh, I don't know, and it could be anywhere. I would prefer if it was a guard, but if you found a huge upgrade over a Fetty somehow, then that's fine too. Uh, either way, um this team this team needs a little bit of help in the interior. Fluker was hurt all year, and however good you think he is, uh, that's a problem. Uh, we had Sweezy had to play on one leg for part of the year, which probably dumped his, would dump, which dumped my view of him, right? Is and that, it definitely was part of his struggles uh, in pass blocking because he wasn't as mobile. Yeah, he was super immobile. Like that, that's and that's the thing is I I'm not sure how much of that is injury and how much of that is him actually like not being great, right? So. I don't know. Like the team was, the t- we went from we went from bad to league average, and it was a, it was so good to see. And a lot of the credit needs to go towards uh, Tom Cable's corpse. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, yeah. This but, is a big time addition by subtraction by addition. And if if that's not enough, pr- so I don't know what they use as their proof in their article. But if they're looking at like how good Oakland's offensive line was, I think that's a perfect example of like how how terrible. Oakland's pass block rating was 30th in the league this year, according to Pro Football Focus, and they they were uniformly terrible. They but had, hey, their run block rating was probably also their 30th. their tackles. Brandon Parker and Colton Miller combined to give up 26 sacks. Do you know whose fault that is? Tom Tom whatever his middle name is Cable. I don't, Tom punching people Cable. He sucks. He sucks. He's terrible and he sucks. That any any and their questions. Next question. Okay, so uh, my <laughs> issues are with... Okay, so I'll start with the negative because I want to take it down a peg from what you said because I think there is something we can hang on Schottenheimer and that is at no stop in his career has Schottenheimer ever run a modern NFL offense. Now, we didn't hire him to come in and run a modern NFL offense, but he also doesn't. And establish the run was sure one issue, but the other one, and you brought it up a number of times, and it really was one of the things that bothered me all season. The short passing game involves too many checkdowns behind the line of scrimmage and behind the first down marker, which is requiring a lot of times for a player to make the play. And we also just didn't utilize play action as much as we should have. For establishing the run, we sure didn't utilize the run when it was established. We are a team that they're going to assume is running every single time, which means that, and we also have a great play-action quarterback, and we have a pair of wide receivers that are really good at getting a step and a half on somebody. We have the right personnel to really take advantage of play-action, and we didn't. And I do think that that is a play-calling issue. And so if Schottenheimer doesn't come out more aggressive in the pass game, more aggressive in the way that he uses play-action, and more creative in the run game, 
then I do think that we can put some of this on him. Because what Pete mandates isn't necessarily the schemes that are being called. What he mandates is the mix and the type of offense we have. Like, we were not scheming guys open, and that can be done even when you aren't passing a ton. Uh, Kevin, I like that. I will say that I'll take this a different route. Nathan, I think, sometimes has rose-tinted glasses when thinking about Daryl Bevel. Hey, I, 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 I tried really hard right there to not bring up Bevel because... I know, but I, I'm doing it for you. He, two league average offensive play callers. I feel like Schottenheimer didn't drive the fan base bonkers with his play calling as much as Bevel did. And I feel like Schottenheimer did something for this offense we haven't had in a while, and that was a red zone offense that mattered. Um, I agree with you, Kevin, in the scheming to get our guys open. I don't really know if I agree with the uh, play action. I felt like we didn't use that to our advantage early in the year, but as the year went on, I felt like it was used more and more. And our passing game and offense looked better and better. Yeah. Um, I agree with you wholeheartedly that he needs to come out aggressive next year. They need to really hammer out the kinks. It's getting to a point in everyone's career. Pete Carroll's, Russell Wilson's, uh, Schottenheimer's time in this offense that this needs to be perfected next year. No, like, you know, well, we have to work out a few of the kinks. No, it's got to be streamlined 100% next year. I want to see that. All right. Uh, that's that's it for things I want to talk about the Seahawks, except for we got one Twitter question. Uh, so if you want your Twitter question answered in like this one, um, please send it in. Uh, this Twitter question came from JRB, and he said that uh, what is can you compare uh, Shaq's rookie year to Trey Flowers' rookie year? Um, and what what do you, what do you think about the development of these like two young players basically? Um, do you mind if I do an overview before you do stats? Because I know you looked can, into this a little more. Can can I can I just say one thing before we even start anything? Yes, uh, it's no stats or anything. Um, it's an apple and oranges comparison for one big reason, which is that Trey Flowers didn't get to play a whole season with Earl Thomas and didn't get to play a whole season across from Richard Sherman. Yeah. So it's kind of it's going to be difficult to compare. In that, in that regard, because playing with Earl Thomas is better than playing with Tedrick Thompson. No matter how good I think Tedrick Thompson is, Earl Thomas is, is way better. Um, and because he's the best. He's, you know, one of the best free safeties ever to, to put on the cleats. So it's it's difficult to compare these these two seasons. It's not um, it's not a, like a like an A-B comparison. Um, that's, my, that's my main point before we start, Kevin. Yeah, I would agree 100% with that. And that was something I wanted to cover as well. So... Is that you were going to make the same point? I was going. That was one of the points I definitely wanted to make. Okay, sweet. Anything so else? the other thing that I like to point out is before we get into statistical analysis, I think there are a few things that are very similar between the players. Okay. Uh, in Griffin's rookie year, we saw early season had a little bit of struggles and started cleaning up his game as the season went along. Uh, he was handling outside and deep passes much better than short passes and passes over the middle. And I think those are similar, and I think that speaks a lot to the technique that Pete Carroll teaches. I think that they had a similar trajectory to their rookie year. In terms of coverage, I agree with you. Yes, I think in purely of- in terms of coverage. In terms of run stopping, I think that uh, okay. Flowers came out so ahead. They, so this is my big thing, is that I think that they're, they're slightly different. Um and the stats kind of bear this out. So Shaquille Griffin was targeted 85 times last year for 40, for 45 receptions, 532 yards, and he gave up 110 of his yards after catch. Uh, Trey, in his rookie year, so these are rookie year, rookie year comparisons, went 47 receptions on 77 targets for 712 yards, 204 after catch. And what I'll say is that this kind of points out what I, what I want to say about these two guys is that in coverage, Shaq's rookie year showed us that he was a player who was able to make a sure tackle and wasn't going to allow a lot of uh, shenanigans after the catch. Uh, Trey, on the other hand, has he he doesn't have the coverage abilities of Shaq, so he will, he will give up a big play on occasion. He will give up um, like the long re- the long reception Shaq gave up his rookie year was thirty eight, and then we we know that um, Trey Flowers gave up receptions of forty three, forty one, seventy five, and forty eight this year. So. I mean, he gives up the big play. Like Trey, yeah. Trey is prone to that because he's not as fast. He doesn't have the straight line speed or the or the the raw coverage ability. Well, and but we he, all remember early struggling against Emmanuel Sanders, but don't forget, late 
He gave up a lot of big pass yards yeah, in the 49ers game. 49ers game, he gave up that 75-yard reception. Uh, the thing is that the, the thing that Trey does that kind of makes up for that, that makes up some of that ground, is he's very, very good in the run game, uh, pulling off 16 run stops. And he he's able to really support in that aspect, kind of the way Richard Sherman always did, right? Like Richard Sherman was always helping the run game. Um, it's because of the lack of um, – I don't think Trey Flowers is ever going to be the guy that you can rely on by himself to cover number one wide receivers. It just seems like he'll, he never will quite have the physical tools for that. But that doesn't mean he could be our number two cornerback for the next 10 years. Uh, he's very strong in run support. He's very good at um, at stuffing guys up, and, and lesser receivers are going to get overpowered by his physicality. He is six foot three and over two hundred, well over two hundred pounds. He is a big guy who can really shut people down physically. So um, I like, you know, if he's I'm, like if Brandon Browner wasn't grabby. Comparing the two rookie seasons, I think you know Shaq showed a lot of promise in coverage, and and what we were looking for this year was for him to continue that development as a as a top flight coverage guy, and instead his coverage took a step back. He gave up 59 receptions on 91 targets for 785 this year, including 233 after catch. So he wasn't even able to to really be that like short tackler, I'm not allowing any BS. He gave up long receptions of 57 and 54 this year. It just seems like um, not playing with Earl behind him or whatever it was, uh, Shaq took a little, had a little bit of regression in terms of like his his ability to, to be the top flight coverage guy we thought he was developing into. Um, do, all right, now I've given my like kind of scouting take slash statistical analysis. What do you what are you guys what are you guys feeling? I think it's <clears throat> I think it's kind of hidden in the byline there is that Shaq without Earl Thomas isn't as good, and I feel like Shaq. I know you kind of touched on this in the beginning. Maybe we kind of gave Shaq a little too much credit last year. And I'm I'm not trying to get on him. Maybe if you take Shaq's rookie year and you make it more like this year, maybe he did show improvement. Meaning that because he had Sherman, because he had Thomas, he didn't really have, you know, he had that safety net. He didn't really have the window to, to screw up so big. This year he had to do it. Maybe this is going to mean big things for him next year. I hope so. We're talking about bringing in a corner in the offseason to compete between Flowers and Shaq. I really want to have two awesome young corners moving forward. Uh, I've kind of been a really critical of Shaq in the last few weeks. I think he's deserved it, but I want him to succeed. Uh, maybe if this, maybe this is kind of like his rookie year, if you look at it that way, because without Sherman, without Thomas, it is a completely different backfield. Kevin, where are you at? Uh, what I would say <clears throat> is that I think. The point about their uh, size and play style is a really valid one. They are uh, they're difficult to compare to each other because they kind of occupy two different things. I don't think anyone is is thinking Trey Flowers is going to be the guy that you put on a number one receiver and lock him down. You don't want him to end up on Brandon Cooks <laughs> because he's going to get burned by really speedy guys. But if you put him up against a possession receiver, he is big, physical really long arms, really understands how to cover. And when he gets better at sliding and moving his hips, it's really going to help him to handle, uh, like, in-breaking routes. Like, we saw it towards the end of the year. There were a number of plays on balls over the middle or balls on in-breaking routes where he was able to use his length to get in there and push the ball away. At the beginning of the year, you'd have never seen that. At the end of the year... I think we all saw two or three really nice plays where he got a hand on it. Um, I'm trying to remember. There was one that was on the goal line where he came over the middle in coverage and just pushed the ball away. It's Minnesota. Minnesota. It's a Minnesota yeah. game. He yeah. had a really he had a really important pass breakup in the Minnesota game. Not like his. It wasn't like a like a terrific game for him. It was an above average game though. Really, he did a good job against a really tough wide receiver ma- yeah, matchup. That's, for that's him. the thing. Is you can give up 67 yard receiving against a tough matchup like that. Because I think both Diggs and Thielen do things that he has trouble covering. And if that's the receiver that shows up next year, is the receiver that played the last like five or six games of this year, that's a guy that's a pretty reliable number two receiver or number two corner. Problem is minus the Forty Nineers game. Right, minus the Forty Nineers game. (laughs) The problem is when you have two number two corners, then you kind of start looking like Carolina. 
and that's worrisome. Like one of these people needs to, <coughs> one of these kids needs to emerge, or we need to get a third option in here. Well, you think, what you said, do you think Kevin, Justin Coleman is going to come back next year? He's a free agent. I do because he's going to come back for like between two and three mil. He's I, not going to make a ton. I think he'll get more than that. Not uh, a lot more. I think he'll be in. The, I think he'll be in the four-ish range. Not from us, Kevin. When you said one of these guys has to emerge, you also said that Trey Flowers isn't going to be that number one guy. So you're basically saying that Shaq needs to emerge as the number one next year. I think Shaq is the guy. Shaq is the guy that who has the ability to to become that. I just don't think Flowers does. I don't. I, I agree with you 100. Flower, uh, Flowers Flowers is just he's capped out by speed. I think is the problem. And not his build. I Kevin really pegged it correctly. He said Brandon Browner. His yes. change of direction will never be there to keep up with like a quick twitch guy he doesn't have the 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 pace in his legs to catch up to the bigger not that that's bad i mean he just needs to those guys he needs to bully and do the yep. best he can like he he's that's not, what he'll learn how to do yeah and he he will be a bully he's he is a really good football player to the, the, the fact that he was able to come in as a 23 year old guy who had not played corner in so long and be this <laughs> successful is i think a testament to his work ethic and and his and his drive like those, the high football iq yeah. he's a lunch pail kid he really he really kicked butt like I, i'm very happy with trey flowers and i think that it, it's 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 this guy's you know it's he's just gonna have to push he's gonna have to push through and keep fighting because it's not gonna like we saw with Shaq it doesn't get easier it gets harder so I think what we want to look <laughs> people, at is people put you on tape they know we want to find a guy with good footwork um with some quicks who could maybe push Shaquille Griffin for the outside job or could be that nickel guy because that's the other thing is I don't think Shaq Griffin in the nickel plays to his strengths. The types of things he likes to do tends to use the sideline. If you look, he is best at covering vertical routes. And if you put him in the slot, he doesn't get to cover vertical routes very much. It's a lot more quick footwork, take advantage of the cushion he gives. We noticed this during the season that like people take advantage of Shaq in the middle of the field. And we couldn't figure out why. And I still don't understand why. Because he just runs. He's behind guys. He always seems behind. It's when, like he's trying to bait people, but he doesn't know how to close the gap or something. He's He looked kind of like when we said Richard Sherman was a step slope. Yeah, he's just late on deflections. He's just dated. Like we talked about Trey Flowers getting in front of passes. Shaq, he can get long, but he's just short of deflecting those passes. Right, and then we'll see him against other like vertical routes where he'll be playing against a fast wide receiver. And he will close, burst... And get there and like get up and body the receiver. And then we'll see him on like a post and he's trailing by like two yards and just doesn't close with timing. It's I, I don't know if his like if his timing is off or what exactly it is, but yeah, like until he learns how to do that, he's gonna not really be a number one corner either. But that seems you can teach someone how to time things better. You can't teach someone to be faster. Hey, here's a stupid slash um, funny worded question of the week. Do you think if Sherman wasn't so vociferous and uh, outspoken against Pete Carroll that he maybe would have been on this team this year? Yes, Oops. absolutely. Yeah. I think the team would have preferred to keep him. And he actually backed, would have been so much better with he him. He backed up everything he said with his play. He was a very – the thing is, though, I mean, there was like a million guys to target in that secondary. They were not Richard Sherman. He got thrown at very little. But, I mean, the guys he covered didn't have good games, so I guess he was effective. Uh, and uh, I don't I don't know if we had the money to keep him. Well, we, you'd be the man to answer that, Nathan. But, um, yeah, know, it's, it's frustrating. Money. We could have. Uh, it, it, was, it would be tight, though. It would have been tight. And then we wouldn't have $60 million going into this offseason, so that, that's kind of a, another thing. Okay, um, there are three... Seahawks who are officially heading to the Pro Bowl. Two got first selections, and one alternate is already in due to injury. Uh, there are six other Seahawks who may or may not be making the, the trip to the one Pro Bowl. One of which is kind of dumb, and uh, one of which is real <laughs> dumb. Okay, so we're going to go over uh, what we thought we'd do is uh, give a quick review of uh, like kind of the season we saw from each of these Pro Bowl selections and uh, just kind of uh, what, what, what we saw and what we thought. So let's start off with Bobby Wagner. One word, magic. Bobby Wagner was the was the best middle linebacker in football. That dude's a unicorn, man. as usual. Um, what what didn't Bobby Wagner do? Uh, it's, he did everything. There's just nothing he didn't do. Uh, he put up a 91.9 Pro Football Focus rating, first in the league. He had one 
Uh, he had 12 pressures on only 46 pass rushes. He got to the quarterback a quarter of the time he came after him. He had 104 tackles and 40 run stops. He was dropped back into coverage 70 times, but only allowed 49 receptions. Uh, he broke up seven passes. He was he did everything you would want a middle linebacker to do. He rushed the passer. He defended the run. He covered. Um, he's he's the best, and he's the heart of the defense. And there, there's no guy on our team who's more irreplaceable at this point on the defensive side of the ball than Bobby Wagner. Uh, Eric, anything to add? <laughs> no. You covered it 100%. He's the leader of this defense. Uh, when Earl went down, uh, we, we always wanted Earl to stick around, but Earl had problems with this team like Sherman did. Uh, Earl was a little more tactful about it. A lot more tactful, I guess, compared to Bennett and Sherman. But he still had problems. This is uh, Bobby's defense, and he played like it. And he deserves whatever accolade he gets. The fact that he is an alternate is... Uh, no, no, he was. No, he was. He was. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I started with. I know I did that. You're right. I started with guys who were. As I said that, I was like, wait, he wasn't. Yeah, he also it was him to be first team All Pro. Him and the next guy we're doing are. Uh, they're they're also in. first team All Pros. Both. Exactly. All right. Uh, so the other thing that I want to say is that Bobby Wagner. Everyone talks about how efficient of a blitzer he is. He gets there. He gets pressure when we put him on the blitz. Or how wonderful of a run stopper he is, which he is an elite run stopper. Bobby Wagner's most underrated asset is his coverage ability. We don't think about him in coverage. He had a lot of passes defensed, um, number of deflections, got a hand in there. He was a very sure tackler in coverage as well. Once people got the ball, they weren't going very many places. And he's a big part of the reason why we were in the top half of the league against both running backs and tight ends despite having a revolving door at the other linebacker spots. Uh, his coverage really helped what could have been a terrible situation over the middle of the field be tolerable because he locked down whatever we asked him to do. Over the last three seasons, Bobby would be sent in deep coverage on really weird routes. Do you remember that last year? Yes. Uh, the Carolina game a few years ago where Greg Olson had a mad touchdown against him. I was like, why are you running after Greg Olson 40 yards downfield? Uh, we didn't see any of that this year. I don't know if that's because we weren't doing weird things with Bennett. I'm sorry, Bennett, with Thomas and Sherman. But I felt like that really played to Bobby's, uh, not advancement, but to his strengths. He we didn't... ran less single high safety because we didn't have a role. Okay. Which means that it changes the way the linebackers get used. Because that makes sense. there were times where Bobby was functionally used as a strong safety for coverage purposes. Cool stat. I know this is a little janky, but uh, no no middle linebacker had more QB hits than Bobby. Bobby hit the quarterback nine times. Uh, the next best was six at his position. Um, it's 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 kind of cherry picking a little bit because you know there's guys that had like 33, 33 pressures total pressures that had less hits. But whatever, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> Michael Dixon, uh, Kevin, get the lotion ready. Uh, it's time <laughs> for your boy, Michael Dixon. Uh, Say it, Kevin. Say it. We're logging into Punt Hub. All right. Uh, Dixon was great this year. He um, to the Val Venus voice. He hello, late. Oh. Perhaps <laughs> needed to. Uh, he outkicked his coverage a couple times towards the end of the season. I contest that his coverage kind of, undercovered his kick. Which is what I will say is that <laughs> I think he was kind of tired of their shit. <laughs> he was like, you know, what, he I'm just booted and said, "Run after it." He said, "I'm going to kick it bitches. far, and if you can't get it, then that's on you. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done making up for your incompetence." It's punts uh, against the. He's blouses. like, I want another 69 yarder. So <laughs> that's it. So uh, Dixon, uh, Dixon was great this year. There's yeah. no, nothing more, much more to be said. He was really good at punting a football. He was the. As a rookie, he was the best punter in the NFL. That's that's a thing that happened, man. Like, you remember when we were talking him up in the preseason and after the draft, and Brett's opening line was, if we're going to spend this high round pick on a punter, this guy better be good. And our response was, this man is punting Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Messiah has come. Uh, I got to be... praise him for we are blessed. <laughs> my uh, my my feedback for for Dixon, you know, is he allowed too many returns, so uh, eight point four yards per return, and he allowed quite a few of them. And uh, his net his net he got passed at the end of the year because of the block and then the couple long returns he added. So uh, that sucked because he was first in net almost the whole season. Now he's fifth. Yeah, yeah. And I think our coverage was just speak to our lack of depth. Yeah. When our depth gets more talented, then our coverage is better. I think Michael needs to be a little more consistent next year. Um, 
And I think that's just a learning curve. He is a rookie. Uh, he's also a foreigner. That could that play a part. He is half as old <laughs> as our kicker. <laughs> he's only He's forty, and he's, he's twenty-two. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, I got to I, an entire adult exists between <laughs> Michael Dixon and Sebastian Janikowski. That's funny. I got to be on a podcast last week. Uh, they asked the members of this podcast to be on it, and one of the guys was from Denver, and he said, well, "You know, the Denver Broncos traded." You the, the pick help you move up to pick Michael Dixon. What'd you guys think about it? And all I I just specified like, hey, we we called that this could happen. Uh, Denver ragged on us for it. They tweeted at the Seahawks, made fun of us. Who's laughing now, jerks? <laughs> Seriously, uh, it's it's funny to me because a fifth round pick is someone that should make your team. And if you're gonna pick a punter, like you said, Kevin, he better be punting Jesus, and that's how we scouted him. And I couldn't be happier with spending that pick on Michael Dixon. It sounds funny, but we have a punter for years. For for a decade, most likely. That's right. Bowl MVP, now Pro Bowler. Soon to be Super Bowl playing. Right. Ring win. win uh, Russell Punt Will- Hubbard. <laughs> Russell Wilson is already in as a, as an alternate. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Royers has declined to play because he's hurt. Because uh, he realized he shouldn't have been voted in. And he's a baby. Uh, Russell Wilson. I'm not. Gonna, I don't think anything can be said that doesn't be said. He is fantastic and great. Um, Kevin, what's your favorite thing about Russell Wilson? Is it his? Is it his devilishly good looks? Is it his adorable children? Uh, my favorite thing is how he takes it one <laughs> week at a time. He wants to go one and zero every week. Um, I no, actually, my thing about Russell Wilson is just the fact that this man has a thing he does. He throws beautiful deep passes, and he makes plays in play action. And it was so nice to see Run and Russ back by the end of the year. We had rambling Russell Wilson when we needed him, and he did not look like he had every bit of his speed. Rumbling, stumbling, rumbling, Russ. No, uh, no quarterback in the NFL had more touchdowns on deep passes than Russell Wilson this year with 15. He went 33 for 68, 1,108 yards for an NFL rating of 128.1, which put him second on deep throws in the league. He was fantastic at that, Kevin. I agree. More proof that Pete Carroll and Schottenheimer really need to let Russ loose and let him run the offense more or less. Look at Russell's career. He's never had a bad year, but really the cool stat that you can take out of every year is every season he's played, he's been asked to do things a certain way, and he's done what's been asked of him. This year, they needed him to be more efficient. We're running the ball more. He still had a spectacular year and could have had more yards. We talked about this last year. I'm sorry, last week on the podcast. Go back and listen. Um, Unleash Russell Wilson. Only two quarterbacks in the league this year had um, a top five NFL rating, both when under pressure and when kept clean. One was Russell Wilson. The other, Matt Ryan. Um, All right. Uh, Maddie Ice. No. You don't like Matt Ryan? No, I just don't like Matty Ice. He's oh, okay. He's, I was like, I was like, Matt Ryan. It's flavorless. I was like, Matt yes. Ryan kind of. He's, he's kind of boring, but like he's he was pretty good this year. If you look, just uh, look pretty at the good. Numbers, I do want to say he had almost five thousand yards passing and it averaged eight yards in attempt. Like people the bag playoffs. people bag on him because they like Atlanta sucked, but their defense was a dumpster fire. This That's year. a fact. Holy smokes! Uh, and also their coaching staff, which is why they fired all of them except for the head coach. Sure. But Russell Wilson, the other thing I like is uh, back up to 8.1 yards per attempt, which is really nice, and 9 air yards per attempt, which means when you balance it with the fact we were throwing it behind the line of scrimmage, that means that he was chucking it deep, um, over 15 yards, over 20 frequently, which is the part of the offense I think was playing into his strengths. The other thing is that after a rough start to the season, Russell was not responsible for nearly as many sacks. He learned how to slide up in the pocket instead of wildly whipping out in one direction or the other, getting chased down from behind for 10-yard losses. That happened less and less as the season went on, and he learned to trust his O-line. And that could be a big evolution. Okay, the next guy. We're going to go straight alternates at this point. Uh, The next guy is our new 1,000-yard rusher. Chris Carson, nine touchdowns, 857 of his 1,171 yards came after contact. He was fantastic. What do you love about the Seahawks' own Sherman Tank? 
Eric running back? Uh, this guy, the only reason why he wasn't a first uh, first run pro bowler is because there's just so many damn good running backs. This guy, he's Johnny on the spot. He gets that extra yard. He falls forward three yards. Next. Yeah, same thing. The dude just is the red guy in the scheme. He's able to pick up the yards that we need, and I love his ability to remember whether he needs to be in or out of bounds at the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah just, just his ability. You like that he can just he stays. Uh, he knows if he needs to be in or out, and he's like, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it to the sideline, plow these two dudes over, and take a step out." Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna turn up field, run straight through four people, and fall forward and stay in bounds. Football acumen. Uh, um, the next Seahawk is a man who terrifyingly tweeted today that he was playing at only sixty percent. This year, uh, the, the scariest thing I've heard all day. He was 10th in the league in pressures, 64 pressures, 13 sacks, 13 hits, 38 quarterback hurries. That is Frank Clark. Uh, Kevin, what do you, how do you feel about Frank Clark's season? Well, I feel like if he had had eight more sacks statistically, if he was only at 60%, right? Something oh my gosh, that's, dude, that's a lot of sacks. That's crazy. That's, that's, that'd be, that's Aaron Donald numbers. In all seriousness, though, Frank was our only reliable pass rush until Jaron Reed really started to come around to the second half of the year. And so, man, when we get somebody across from him to take the pressure off, it's going to get ugly for other teams. I can't wait. You may be at 60%, but I also know you're looking for a contract. Calm down. You're probably going to get the franchise tag. You'll at least get paid, Frank. He's awesome. Uh, Tyler Lockett has been chosen as an alternate punt and kick returner, which is all I have to say to that is, boo, he should be in here as a wide receiver. Uh, yes. <laughs> he was an excellent wide receiver this year for the Seahawks. Um, him and Russell Wilson famously combined for a perfect quarterback rating on the season. Uh, Tyler Lockett, Kevin, any, any extras? Uh, he reminds me of Bobby Wagner in that whatever his counting stats are, they pale in comparison to his efficiency. This dude is a walking first down. And a walking big play threat. He is everything that he promised he would be his first year in the league. He got his legs back under him and healthy, and he is delivering. All right, of all people who received at least uh, 40 targets this year, Tyler Lockett was first in the league, receiving 80. He caught 87.7 of all balls thrown his way and had zero drops. The only other player with no drops this year, well, there's two. They both play for Houston. Des right. Bryant. <laughs> but here's the thing. His catch percentage is what you normally see from, like, tight ends who only get, like, 15 throws towards them. Or running backs who are doing, like, really simple swing passes. Or Michael Thomas, who is, like, only 1%. Or Michael Thomas, who's not a human. <laughs> yeah, Michael Thomas is a, is a robot sent to destroy us. Right, Michael Thomas has 85.6%. On 146 targets. Look, we're not debating if Michael Thomas should be what? in the Pro Bowl. We're what? just saying Lockett should Mike- be too. Michael Thomas? What? Okay, yeah, that dude's insane. It's just absurd. But, I, I don't but Tyler, Tyler Lockett showed that he can hold down the Forge's number yes. one receiver. Tyler Lockett's And great. we know Doug Baldwin can too. Having two players that can be number one threats is a beautiful spot to be in. All right. Uh, the next player that we, we have coming in here, we have strong safety. He came in, he was put in a spot. He had to replace an absolute legend in Cam Chancellor. He had to come in and, and try to replace that. That is one, Bradley McDougal. We love, yeah, we love Brad. Brad. We love he Brad. also had to replace Earl Thomas, let's face it. Yeah. Uh, he's, he, he had, had to, to really replace legends. our entire secondary. The job, certain the job got really hard at the end of the year, I'm not going to lie. And uh, I and he was banged up. And he was dinged up, and I, I felt like he he tailed off at the end of the season and wasn't the first... If you ask me, like through the first eight or nine games, Brad was amazing. Brad was the best. Brad was the best. He he was gonna he was on track for one. He faded at the end and kind of he was hurt and it wasn't all there. And you know what? I'm, I get healthy this offseason, Brad, because we're we're ready for next year. We're ready to see you back at your best. We all know how great Bobby is, but Brad was our rock in the secondary, and that was greatly needed and underappreciated. Yeah, it's that whole t- in baseball they talk about building up the middle catcher, second base, center field. Uh, Jaron Reed emerging this year, Bobby Wagner being Mr. Consistency, and then Brad kind of quarterbacking the back end. I think that that's a good spot. You can build from that for sure. Right. Uh, Bradley McDougal, very underrated cheap signing. Okay. And now it's time for uh, questionable uh, questionable Ooh. choices. Uh, J.R. Sweezy was named a Pro Bowl alternate. He I. Uh, um, second best guard on the Seahawks. So I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> the, the, he, uh, First healthiest? He allowed 26. I don't even know that, dude. He, he was dinged up at the end of the year bad. This is part of why. I mean, why I'm down on him is because he, he was 
hurting at the end of the year. You know, then going into the playoff game, he had like a what a, was a broken ankle or a broken foot bone or something, and he had to give the coaches staff the thumbs up. You know, like I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. I was Put like, me in, coach. I can throw strikes. Yeah, it's like it was a we had a lot of 27 pressures this year, tied for or 26, tied for 27th in the league. He had nine penalties. Uh, it was it's a fine year. He was average considering how, the injuries and stuff. I'm fine with it. It was a fine year. It just wasn't Pro Bowl caliber. Uh, and then <laughs> the last the last one. So, so wait, this is the one I this. Oh, I already know proving a hundred percent that Pro Bowl is meaningless. Yeah, KJ Wright. Gets the Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah, yeah, if you think that KJ is going to resign here, this Pro Bowl is only going to add to the money reasons he will come up now, with. Now, the six games KJ played, especially the last two or three, he was pretty good. Sure. Uh, yes. But uh, um, what? But when he played he's, six. When he he's played on six the, games. Yeah, when he's on the field and he's healthy 100%, he's a very good Did football player. Did he get player. like six interceptions those six games and I missed it? Uh, no, he got one touchdown, one interception, one pass breakup. He had nine run stops and two pressures. Long, That's really good for, you know, one-third of a season. <laughs> Long-term listeners of this show will remember that Nathan criticized the deal we gave KJ uh, four yeah, or five he, years ago. He, the, the, the one person who's still listening from four years ago. Yes, yeah. and that one person, uh, thank you. I, I've admitted I was wrong like a thousand times It's funny, times though, that, though. KJ wound up living up to that. And, and so more, we're talking to Brett now because he's it, the one person who listens. Well, you know, I didn't think he'd do it. Uh, you know, just... Uh, it, he had those, you know. He had that one season with the with the seven touchdowns. But it, that season can't prevent slavery. Okay. All right. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Let's get it. Let's get into the uh, the money zone here. If you want to support the Seahawks Nest podcast and us sending Kevin to a psychiatric ward, head over to Seahawks. <laughs> head over to patreoncom Nest. Also, if you want to uh, support the show and you cannot do so, go five stars on iTunes, <laughs> Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you find your podcast. Give us a like, a heart, a plus one. Tell one friend about the Seahawks Nest podcast, and uh, it will help uh, help me gain, regain my sanity and be a better person all right God, sorry you. we're dying over here i hate you guys um let's go movie club movie club is this topical to movie club no it's not. <laughs> uh this this week uh so we've been watching a kind of like uh awardsy contenders under the radar films from last year uh this week we watched spike lee's new movie black klansman uh eric you said you wanted to go first uh describe the movie black klansman uh adam driver plays clayton bigsby the third <laughs> um, <laughs> that was for Kevin. Uh, no, uh, Black Klansman. So we are getting together uh, in a in a way and watching these movies. Black Klansman is a uh, it's a it's a how can I say this? it's a social movie that will definitely get your brain a thinking. A social uh, for, comedy for so, I don't really think it's too funny. There are some funny I don't know, there moments. Were some funny there's there's some funny dialogue. moments, but that does not make it a funny movie. I'll say this about it. Yeah, it's uh, not it's, a comedy. It's a it's based on a true story about uh, how two police officers kind of uh, what they invade. Infiltrated. They, they infiltrate. I guess uh, you know. I guess they they totally did. They they infiltrated a uh, a large branch of the KKK back in 1979 ish. Uh, it's it's funny though. As a as a young man in his late teens, when David Duke was running for president, I do remember this. Uh, he would say, oh, "I'm no longer part of the KKK." And to watch this movie, it was, uh, and reading up on it afterwards, it gave me some uh, some education on David Duke's life. Okay. Oh, and Topher Grace cast Topher as Grace is David Duke. The wow. casting in this movie was excellent. Yeah, young Denzel playing uh, the the main character. Okay, a Driver really good. Yeah, Adam Driver's great. I would watch Adam Driver do anything at this point. In his yeah, career. he's gotten there with me. Um, so here's here's my uh, my kind of my review of this movie. Uh, it um, we're watching the movie and it's two a little, a little over two hours long and we're about ninety minutes in the movie and I'm thinking like in my head. I've watched a lot of the Oscar contenders this year, and I think that so far this is like the best movie I've seen. This movie's really good. You know, there's a couple little things that are are irritating me a little bit, but I'm I'm really into this movie. This movie could win Best Picture. And then the last thirty minutes of the movie, I was like, this is heavy-handed, kind of trite. Like, I don't understand why they're doing this. They had plenty of stuff for you to chew on without doing this. What they are doing right now, and it kind of just it. Dropped the movie a level for me to the point where, like, Widows is still my favorite movie of 2018. You said the last 30 and, minutes? Uh, really quickly, I want to... Uh, there was a point at about, probably, I think an hour 45, like, right when that 30 minutes or so was going, where we started to kind of turn on the movie a little bit. And then there was a spot where I was like, 
you guys realize there's like 15, 20 minutes of movie left. There's going to be another scene I after think- this. And we were all going... What could the other scene be? Why would there be another scene? And then I, and then I, think, was. I, I think I, I put, like, like with about a half hour left in the movie, I think I put in all caps in the group chat, I put, why are they doing this? And then Kevin put, <laughs> Kevin put, Hollywood in all caps. No, that's exactly right. <laughs> it, it was a super Hollywood moment, yeah. One, as Spike Lee gets older, he, he probably wants and he probably deserves a little more of that recognition. So this was a more streamlined Hollywood movie for him. It is the most enjoyable Spike Lee movie for me. The dialogue was great. The There were no weird directorial things that he did. Um, but yeah, the last 30 minutes, it wasn't like it's it was bad. It just got to a point where you had to... It pulled you out of the rest of yes. the movie too much, uh-huh. I think. Just a... Even it if it just, just put it you on the sideline, it took it took what was like a like kind of a thinky like movie where you're like, oh, I have some stuff to chew on. I really want to think about like a lot of the issues they're bringing to the table here and stuff. And then just like was like, but it hey, shoot it let, for you. Let me get out this hammer and hit <laughs> you in the <laughs> head. You like a baby bird. Let me hit you in the head a couple times with this hammer though to really make you think about it. It's like I don't, I didn't need to get hit in the head with the hammer. I, I like as, as the days went on. I wonder if he had a, an ending for the movie. Let me be honest with you. Still thought still thought the movie was pretty good. And yeah. I think if you watched the trailer and you thought it was interesting. Um, you you should watch it. It's it's a it's a really good movie, and then like the first ninety minutes hold up to any movie I've seen this year uh, as as like some of the best stuff I put to film. So that's that's what I got for you, um, Black Klansman. Uh, Kevin, anything to add, Eric? Nope. Uh, the yeah, the I think you hit it pretty much. It would have been five stars. It would have been my only five star I've seen so far this year. If I can't wait, it, to, I can't wait till you watch Widows because I really want to talk about it on this podcast. If it hadn't stomped all over itself at the end, it's a really cool heist movie. Well, it's about to go to digital. I know, and I'm, I'm we'll just all count, watch it. I'm just counting Looking down. Looking forward days. to it because uh, I love a heist. Yeah, it's it's it's. A, we also need to do Den of Steves. There are some performances in this movie too, Kevin. Uh, with uh, with um, I believe it. That cast is great. Liam Neeson's and Viola Davis <laughs> and Dan- <laughs> Daniel Kaluuya and like there's just this movie's got stuff going on that I think. Um, people should know. So if you want to be ahead of the Seattle podcast, watch Widows and uh, it's coming. It was like, it was like, so far it's still my, my number. I think it's going to, it's going to be hard to pass. We got a couple movies left to watch for 2018, but right now it's holding down that number one spot. All right. For Kevin, for Eric, for Russell Wilson, we will see you guys next week. Go Hawks.